0: Hello, Grace family. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whatever time you may be watching this and though we're interspersed in homes, we want this to truly be a time of corporate worship, that we're coming together to sing praises to God and to be in his word and that we experience it in community even if we're not actually together. And we want this to be a time of pure and simple devotion to Jesus, that as we experience his love and grace, that we can't help but be compelled to praise him and to worship him because he's worthy. And in Psalm 31 5, it says, Into your hands I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. And we want to take some time to just do that now, to commit ourselves to him to give ourselves over to him and remind ourselves of who he is that he is a God who redeems and he is a God who is faithful so with that what is something that is pressing on your heart something that might be weighing on you is there something for which you're longing to see God move and work we want to commit that to him now so let's take a time to pray and I'm going to give you a little time of silence what is he putting on your heart to commit to Him now. What would it look like to lay this before God, to place it in His hands, to open yourself to Him and give Him what is on your heart? Offer yourself, and what is on your your mind and heart as part of your worship today. Commit yourself to God's work, the work he wants to do in you during this time. Remind yourself of the ways that God has faithfully cared for you and ask him to do that now. We serve a God who's redemptive in all things. So ask him to renew your mind and heart as you offer him yourself to him now. Let me pray. Father, we come before you now and we thank you that you are a good God, a God who loves us and sees us and knows us. Father, we do want to commit ourselves to you. We want to give ourselves over to you. We want to lay before you the things that are on our minds and hearts that are pressing in on us. Lord, we thank you that you are a redemptive God, that you are our redeemer, that you take what has been broken or severed or is dry and you bring renewal and life. And Lord, we thank you that you are faithful to your promises. We offer this time to you and we offer ourselves and just say, come, come and work in us. And we pray this in your name. Amen.
1: Then sings my
0: soul, my
1: Savior God, to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. Then sings my soul,
0: We'll be continuing our study of the Sermon on the Mount and God's Kingdom in Matthew 6, 1 through 18, so join along with me as we read together. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord.
2: So we are walking through Jesus' great sermon on life in the kingdom of God, and hopefully it's becoming clear that in talking about God's kingdom, Jesus isn't just talking about us believing certain things so that when we die, we go to the right destination, but he's talking about a way of life that we can enter into now. He's talking about being a part of what God is up to in the world now that will ultimately lead, yes, to eternal life. And each week in this sermon, we're looking at a section in which Jesus poses a fundamental question. And here's the question from the first half of chapter six. Who is your audience? As you live your life, as you go about your days, who is your primary audience? So I want to talk about this today. What what Jesus does is he, he invites us into the secret life, the inner life of the kingdom person. This inner relationship with God that is to be the fuel, that is to be the driver behind everything we do. So let's start in verse 1. Verse 1 really lays out the main point of the passage. Let me read it again. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So he's talking about practicing our righteousness. He's talking about the, the good things that we do, In pursuit of God and in this passage he mentions three examples um, giving uh, generously or, or giving mercy to those in need and then prayer and fasting he's assuming that kingdom people will be doing these kinds of things and he's saying be careful that you don't do these things in front of others and the point doesn't seem to be that it's just that it's done in front of others but specifically as he says there in order to be seen by them it's the motivation of being seen that he cares about, or maybe even better, in in verse 2, he talks about doing these things to be honored by others. And that word, "honor" translates the word that is normally translated as glory. And so what Jesus is doing in this passage is he's tapping into this fundamental human desire for glory, meaning this desire to be noticed this uh, desire to be seen, to be approved, to be seen as someone substantial or significant or respectable or lovable or acceptable. There's a million different ways each of us feels that, that primary desire for glory. And what's interesting is Jesus doesn't deny or even dismiss that desire to be noticed and seen. He simply poses the question, where are you seeking it? From whom are you seeking glory? And uh, he introduces us to two very different audiences: first, people, and second, God. And these audiences are are different in two crucial respects that Jesus mentions. They're first, they're different in their experience of you as a person. So here's what I mean by that: um, people. Um, only see what you present publicly to them right they all they can see is the actions you perform the the gestures on your face the, the the words that come out of your mouth God on the other hand of course sees what Jesus says here sees what is done in secret three times he mentions this verse 4 your father who sees what is done in secret verse verse uh, Verse six and verse 18, your father who sees what is done in secret. Your father, in contrast to people, he sees everything, right? He sees under the surface, he sees the heart, he sees the motivation, he sees your public persona, but he also sees the private person. It was a very different audience. And the audience is different in another way, not just their experience of you, but your experience of them. And I hadn't really thought through this one until this week, but here's the difference. With people, your experience of them is they are seen by you, meaning you can see the approval on their faces when you do something well. You can hear their words of affirmations, right? You can touch and feel their experience, and they're noticing you. God, on the other hand, is unseen by you, and Jesus points that out twice in this passage. Verse 6, your father who is unseen, again, verse 18, then your father who is unseen. So you can't see him. You can't hear his affirmation, right? You, you can't see his smile looking down on you. So that presents a really interesting and I would say challenging dynamic. We all long for glory. We all long to be recognized and noticed. And we have one audience that is around us all the time in ways that we can see and touch and feel and uh, that we can maybe fake through a public persona. And then there's another audience, God, who is, who is intangible, we can't see, we can't touch or feel, and we can never fake him out. <laughs> Those are very different experiences of these two audiences. And so the question is, whose approval are you seeking? Who, where are you seeking glory? From the crowd or from God? And I'd like to just pause there And give us a moment for some self-reflection. I just use that word, the crowd, you know, other people. But what I'd love you to do right now is just consider who is that for you? Who are those people uh, whose approval, whose praise you seek in in this world? Who are those people that that you're motivated to try to impress and do things um, that they'll be pleased with? So some of us are... um, I'd say just natural born people pleasers. And if you're like that, then, then for us, the crowd is just really whoever we're with at the moment. Right, I mean, for the people pleaser, our lives are so tied to people's opinion of us. And, and we're, we're constantly measuring the temperature, the, the approval temperature of, of whoever we're with. And we're trying to make adjustments in our behavior, in our, in our words, based on what we perceive, whoever we're around, so that we might kind of gain their approval. Now, some of us aren't naturally people pleasers, um, but I would say there's still a crowd who is often not people in general, but there is a select group of people whose opinion really matters to us. Uh, And you probably right now could even come up with some faces who that might be for you or names, but these are a select group of people but they exert a very powerful influence on us. Our perception of what they think of us motivates us. It shapes our behavior. It shapes our lives in profound ways. And then for some of us, the, the crowd may be reduced to a single person. I mean, I think there's a lot of people, for instance, who um, who are living to please a voice from the past. I mean, it might be a, a father, for instance, who, um, who they could never please, they could never perfectly impress. And people can live their whole lives trying to impress someone from their past, even if that person is now gone. I mean, movies are made about people who are desperately trying to, you know, gain the approval of some voice from the past. All that to say, we all have our own version of the crowd. So whatever that is for you, um, into this context, in this passage, Uh, Jesus introduces us to a certain type of person who he describes as the hypocrite. Verse 2, when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do. Verse 5, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Um, Verse 16, when you fast, don't look like don't look somber as the hypocrites do. He's introducing us to a kind of person. What he's doing is actually he's borrowing an image from first century Greek culture, uh, the world of the stage. So originally the hypocrite uh, was a stage performer, was a a play actor, right? Someone performing for an audience. And oftentimes uh, the Greek stage performers would literally wear a mask, sometimes literally, sometimes just figuratively, figuratively, but it was a person who was paid to present a persona to the audience that is of course different from who they are in their private person. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that on the stage. But of course, there's something deeply wrong with that when we begin to live our actual lives that way. And um, man, there's, there's a huge temptation uh, when we live with other people instead of God as our, as our main audience. And um, we're all tempted to do this, sometimes in overt ways like Jesus describes here, sometimes in much subtler ways but we're all tempted to, to present a version of ourselves that has the best chance of winning the approval of the crowd, if I can put it that way. And in this passage, he's talking about specific, specifically presenting a spiritualized version of ourselves that has a chance of winning the approval of the crowd. It, it's, to, it's to present a persona to people rather than to live as an, as an authentic person, if you can feel that distinction. It's to wear a mask in a sense. Um, I've quoted from T.S. Eliot many times this, this quote. I love this quote. He says, we put on a face to meet the faces that we meet. And the idea is it's so tempting for me to put on a face as I enter into my world and interact with people. And it's tempting for you to put on a face that you think I'll like, and we're having interactions. And really what's happening is my face is interacting with your face rather than our authentic persons interacting with one another. Of course, we can think of how that happens in church settings, you show up at church and, you know, how are you doing? I'm doing great, how are you? Great, God is good, awesome, great. We can present a face to meet the faces that we meet. And we can do that in any context in our lives. And of course, in in this modern moment, we have the internet, we have social media, which has created these new ways, these new platforms to present a persona of ourselves, where we can, in a a new way, curate an image of ourselves that we want to present to the world. You know, Facebook um, was brilliant in creating the like, right? And what's crazy is we can now quantify approval on the internet. 45 likes, 67 likes, 120 likes. And there's something so like just crude and like crass when it's boiled down to that kind of quantifiable number. And yet it's alluring because it's it's tapping into this deep desire for glory, for human approval, for notice and recognition and applause. And so there's all sorts of ways we do this, subtle ways, not so subtle ways, where we play to the crowd. And of course, the problem is, is when we do that, when we play the role of the hypocrite, when we we put on a persona for one another, to do that is to subject ourselves to a life of endless anxiety, of endless self-consciousness, and of uh, second guesses, and endless internal complications. And so, what Jesus wants to do in this passage is invite us into kingdom life. And he does that by giving us in these 18 verses, a message uh, that is both severe and utterly merciful. And really here's the message. The question again is, who's your audience? And his fundamental message is this. Um, You have to choose your audience and you can't have your cake and eat it too. Like you can't have your cake and eat it too. So just stop trying. Okay? I mean, you can, you can play to an audience and get the reward of that audience, right? You can seek the approval and the applause of other people, and you might be able to gain that. Three times in this passage, Jesus says that the hypocrites seek the approval, and he says, and they have gained their reward. They really can gain the reward of other people's approval, or at least the reward of thinking that they have other people's approval. Um, or you can seek the delight and joy and eternal war- reward of your heavenly Father And you can have that reward. Your heavenly father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So really there are rewards in in both cases. But the message is this, you can't have it both ways. That's why he says they have received their reward in full three times. Three times they've received it in full, meaning that's the only reward they're going to get. So you can have either reward, but you can't have both. So stop trying. Now, as I said, that's a message that uh, is severe, right? And let me just say this plainly. What Jesus is saying here in this passage, he's saying this, you cannot have God's approval if you are constantly seeking other people's approval. Let me repeat that to myself. You cannot have God's approval, approval if you are constantly seeking other people's approval because those two pursuits are fundamentally in opposition to each other. I mean, occasionally you might have both people's and God's approval, but in terms of the motivation of your heart, those two pursuits are fundamentally in opposition to each other. I was reminded this week of something that Jesus says to the Pharisees in John's gospel. And really, the hypocrites here, he's portraying the Pharisees. But here's what he says about the Pharisees in in John's gospel. This is John 5.44. He says this, How can you believe when you accept praise from one another yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God. He's saying when you seek the praise of other people and you get it and your heart is filled up with satisfaction from that praise, that will absolutely keep you from a life of genuine faith. And we can all think of examples, I mean, of this. I mean, the simplest example of like, of praying with other people, right? We all know what it's like to, to start praying in the presence of others and to start this sincere prayer. And then as we move through the prayer, start to think, how is this prayer sounding to everybody? And then we start to try to phrase the prayer and shape the prayer in a way that we feel like, gosh, this is, this is pretty articulate and pretty spiritual. And we end the prayer thinking, I think I did a pretty good job. And we all know like to do that and completely lose the heart of what got us to the prayer in the first place. They're, they're fundamentally opposed in terms of our heart motivation. That's this little microcosm of, of how we can live our lives in general. And so Jesus is just saying, hey, it's, it's either or. He's confronting us with that fundamental choice in a way that is severe. But it's also very merciful in the end. He's trying to be merciful to us. And here's why I think when we refuse to accept that either or cho- choice, which is what a lot of us do, we think, no, I can, I can do both. That is, again, as I said a second ago, that is to enter into a life of anxiety, right? Of, of constantly trying to fit in and impress people and gain people's approval and also trying to do what God wants us to do. And that is exhausting. It's never ending. It's such a complicated way to, to live life. And in fact, it is impossible. And so Jesus in this passage, I think, is saying, ultimately, I, I want to free you up from that kind of life. Um, there's, there's such freedom in dying to other people's opinion of you. I mean, really, in the end, under other people's opinion of you is none of your business. It, it's, it's none of your business. And there's such a freedom to simply dying to what other people think of you. And there is this, this freedom and simplicity of living for only one person, for having a single audience in mind in everything you do. That is an utterly freeing and simplifying way to live life. And as I say that, I mean, it'd be worth you and me just doing a thought experiment and even carrying this thought experiment into this week, the thought experiment of what if, in every circumstance I walk into this week, every conversation, every encounter, I was aware of this idea. There is only one person I need to please right now. There's a single person whose joy and delight I'm pursuing. Imagine the freedom at work, in your home, at church, in worship, in any context, to I can let go of everything else except one person. And there's one person I'm trying to please. I'm trying to bring joy to. Can you picture the freedom of that kind of life? I don't know if you can or not, um, but that's precisely the life that Jesus lived. <laughs> that's exactly how he lived. Every moment, every day, he had one purpose. I want to bring joy to my Father. And it created this freedom for him and the simplicity of his life that then had this unbelievable impact in the, wor- in the world and the beauty when we when we pursue the father's approval instead of the world's, and I'll leave you with this this thought, is this. Then this one person who is your audience, who is he? He is he's none other than your heavenly father who loves you. He's your heavenly father who's already forgiven you, who, who already delights in you, who's already redeemed you, who already approves of you. And so living for him is not about like taking this anxious, people-pleasing posture that we bring to others and now just throwing it onto God, right? Which would, which would be what we might do. Um, wondering, am I, am I pleasing God? Am I getting it right or wrong all the time? How, you know, how's my approval rating with God now? That, that would be a temptation to do that way. But no, we're living for someone whose approval we already have, who's already forgiven us, who already knows everything about us and delights in us. Look at verse 7, what Jesus says about going to God in prayer. He says, when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. He's he's talking about people who put on a mask with God and try to present a spiritual version of themselves to God in prayer. He's like, you don't need to do that. You don't need to wear a mask with God like you do with other people. He already knows you. He knows what's done in secret, and he loves you, and he forgives you. And so, life with Him as your audience is not this life of constantly seeking approval now from God instead of other people. It's actually a life of living from the approval that you already have, living out of the love that He already has for you, swimming in that, living that every day, and then asking the simple question, okay, I'm loved, I'm approved. Now, what in this circumstance would bring my Father joy? What would put a smile on his face? What what would he look and go, yes, that's exactly what I had in mind for you. What would he look at and say, yes, well done, good and faithful servant. This is the secret life, the inner life of the kingdom person. It is this relationship of joy and intimacy with the Father and this simplicity of trying to please him alone. So let's go to him now in prayer, and just bring this before Him. Well, I've been mulling over these ideas
3: that we've been talking about today, this basic human desire for glory. And as Dave alluded, it's a desire that God built into us, which raises the question, how are we feeding this desire, and from whom? There's a funny quote by Dave Ramsey, the well-known financial planning guy. He says, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have, to impress people we don't like. And that cracks me up, but it's often true. And what does that say about us? And even if we really like and care about the people we want approval from, what weight does their approval have compared to the creator of the universe, compared to the one who has our eternal well-being in his hands? And that got me thinking. You know, we can be really bad evaluators. How good are we at assessing the true value of something? If we place more value on other people's opinion than on God, we need to correct that massive miscalculation. We need to cultivate a better understanding of God and a more accurate vision of the worth and value of God. In this Sermon on the Mount, right in the middle of the section that we are at, Jesus teaches us how to pray the Lord's Prayer, and most of us know it by heart. And it starts this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. To hallow something is to make it holy, to separate it or to sanctify it. And Jesus taught his followers to pray that God the Father would hallow his name. And in this prayer, hallowed be thy name is a request. We are saying, Lord, cause your name to be hallowed. That is, cause your word to be believed, cause your displeasure to be feared, cause your commandments to be obeyed, and cause yourself to be glorified above all else. We hallow the name of God when we trust Him, when we revere Him, when we obey Him, and when we glorify Him. And we do this because no one is worthy of these things more than He is. For whom are we praying when we pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Whose heart are we asking God to change when we pray? I think first we're praying for ourselves, and I think we're also praying that God's name be hallowed in every human heart. But this morning, let's consider our own heart. If we find ourselves seeking approval from others more than from God, we need God to help us change that. So we pray, Father, cause my heart to believe you And fear you and obey you and glorify you. Help me to grow in seeing you for what you're worth, that your name would be hallowed in my heart far above anything else or anyone else. And then we can pray the same thing for our family members and friends and our neighbors. So let's take some time right now to do that. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Praise be to you, O Lord, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor Amen.
1: I trust in you for every heartbeat as long as I Your life. Yeah
3: Well, we hope this time has been a spiritual encouragement to you. Our prayer is that God would use this time, that he would use his word, our worship to him, to bring glory to his name. That it would build you up in your faith and your trust in Jesus. And let me just end our time with this benediction. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good word and
1: deed.